most of pharma and biotech is outsourced. The innovator innovates, and more often than not, everything else is found through a partner. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I'm joined today by Michael Jim Mink, VP from our clinical team, and Jim Reedy, VP from our commercial team. We talk shop about why and how to outsource. Outsourcing in biopharma next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Jim Reedy, Michael Jim Mink, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. So we're talking today about something that's near and dear to the hearts of Cineos Health. We run outsourcing for other companies. We are the people who run clinical trials. We're the people that provide sales forces. So it's our business. How do we articulate to a client, like, seriously, why do you need to outsource? Why would you even want to do that? Why not just have it in-house? That's a great question, Jeff. I think from my perspective, we talk to our customers, we really talk to them about their core versus non-core capabilities and competencies and things they want to focus on as a company to really fulfill their mission statement. And so I think they really need to look at the things that they want to take on and to be smart about the maybe non-core, non-essential activities and how they want those outsourced. Additionally, they need to look at their own capacity internally with what they can drive and what they can manage. So depending upon their infrastructure, their capabilities, their goals, they may have a mix of outsourcing strategies to achieve what's going to be best for their overall development pipeline. Yeah. And just dovetailing Jeff off Michael's comments, I definitely think the idea of focusing in on our clients' core competencies and also what we've seen traditionally is life cycle stage of a product or products can play into this decision. So historically, organizations may look at the idea of utilizing outsourcing for more mature brands. But what we've seen a little bit more of a shift is emerging life science organizations who maybe don't have all the infrastructure and everything built out. They're looking to mitigate as much risk as possible upfront. And that's another lever that they're pulling to look at flexible resources as an option. So I consult for pharma companies and help them make, for example, copay assistance optimization. And one of the things that I've been told is that running a copay assistance business is really, really hard. So it's been something that's been suggested to me that the thinking part is trying to figure out things. And that's like a development stage company. And the doing part for copay assistance is like running a sales force. Am I hitting the core competency level? It applies to our company as well as to other companies. Yeah, I think you are hitting it, Jeff. You know, when we talk to customers, we talk about some maybe the non-essential or the non-core, they're all essential services, but the non-core activities such as managing a trial master file, doing site contracts, doing regulatory submissions, those types of things aren't really at the heart of the science that needs to be done. And so there's a way to outsource that, maybe even a functional way across a portfolio to get a consistent customer experience, maybe for your sites, and investigators that you want to have a good relationship with. And you're able to focus on the core sciences you have, because a lot of the companies, a lot of the pharma companies, they're not trial master file companies, they're pharma companies developing drugs. So I think you're spot on in terms of how they can look at what they do and what they want to be good at. Our clients typically have a finite set of resources in terms of their sales force and their ability to support their existing core brands. And more and more, we're seeing those who may turn to us as that option for how can I Again, take maybe late stage life cycle brands and utilize the resources we can bring forth or supplement launch brands as they're in a stage of, again, having a set core group of resources to focus maybe on their highest value targets. And they can use a flexible option, again, from an outsourcing perspective, bringing our resources forward even at that launch stage. Okay. So I get if it's not core, you may want to outsource. That's one reason to outsource. Another reason that I would have thought to outsource also, and maybe it's something that you think about a lot, is that whole managing the people, hiring them, and then as you need them 
on and then don't need them anymore, it's less painful if you have that as an outsourced resource. Am I being a little bit too harsh on that? That strikes me as being what might motivate some people to outsource. You know, what you're saying is probably pretty blunt terms, but it's managing capacity. It's managing the ebb and flow of your portfolio and the work that happens. So if you've got a baseline core headcount that you want to keep within your organization, I think that's fine. As things go above that line and needs are there, the question is going to be, do you have to make capital investments and in infrastructure capabilities, countries, or is it easier to work with partners who already have that access, that capability, and set it up where that ebb and flow can go, where you're able to, just-in-time resources, however you want to call it, but you're able to manage that on an ongoing basis and pay for what you're actually using, as opposed to investing in large infrastructure you're not going to use. And so when you talk about being able to fire, yes, I think a lot of customers are looking for a plug-and-play aspect where they can have partners that are interchangeable, so to speak, so they can continue to make sure that they've got the right partner to drive what their goals are. Maybe it's blunt the way you stated it. You're absolutely accurate. One twist on it that we see, I mentioned before the emerging life sciences, and there's significant growth in the industry. You know, these organizations that are starting up, they've got a molecule and really launching a new organization. More and more companies like that are actually outsourcing that first commercial build. And that can be the sales force, that can be medical science liaisons, whoever it might be, managed markets executives. The idea of building what we refer to as an evaluate to hire model is one that basically gives that organization a runway. Let's call it 12 months, sometimes 24 months, where the individuals are outsourced, but they're led by and are really following the strategic objectives, delivering upon the strategic objectives and imperatives of that client. And it's really during that phase that the manufacturer or our partner actually gets to determine, have I built the right model? Do I have the right number of individuals? Do I have them in the right places? Are they of the right caliber? And the organization then can make right size, optimize as we go forward. So it's just another spin on it, but it absolutely is about the idea of being able to move off of resources as needed, as the market determines. Yeah, I'm not sure how many of our clients or your clients think about this, but a lot of the ones that I've worked with over the years have been the ones that are just commercializing their first asset. And they're often looking for the ability to be bought out. That's what their real end goal often is because they even recognize that commercialization isn't their core competency, period. Development was. So they're looking for the chance to be acquired. When we have an outsourced sales force, an outsourced commercialization effort in particular, but also outsourced clinical trials, that becomes an easier discussion. And I'm wondering if you've seen that, but I know that for my clients, it's been true. The M&A process is a lot easier if you're the M&A partner and you have options. You can keep a contract group in place. You can maintain that kind of large organization continuity if you want to, or you can transfer everything over to your own sales force, your own commercialization, your own agency of record, whatever you want to do. That's another layer of flexibility you haven't talked about, but is one that I've seen with my own clients. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's interesting because for those clients, examples you're mentioning of your own there in terms of those startups, those emerging pharmas, we're typically assisting in board presentations or even involved in board presentations and really trying to make sure that whatever solutions we're bringing forward, whether that organization is going to be, again, sold or they're going to have sustainability moving forward, the portability of the solutions that we bring forward are critical. So in essence, one of the operating models that those organizations always put in place is that the strategy, I would call it the leadership at the top is client-based. 
and the assets underneath it, again, whatever those might be, but let's just focus on the sales representatives, those are outsourced. And again, it just gives you that ability to move hand in hand with the client. And if ultimately they're sold off, there definitely is, again, use that word portability of those resources to move into the new organization. I think what you bring up is interesting, Jeff, because I don't think we always have visibility on the clinical side as to the exit strategy for the assets. And that's a question that we bring up in conversations internally, even with the customer. You need to know if they're moving into a new indication, is that something that's going to be where they want to build the infrastructure and own it? Or is it easier just to purchase as you go? Also looking at if they're looking to sell an asset, then maybe their timeline is to get through phase two and move quickly through that. And maybe there's a way to accelerate some of that as well. So I do think that's a great question in terms of how to partner with a customer in terms of their outsourcing strategy to make sure we're getting to the end goal in mind. Otherwise, it becomes just a very tactical exercise of providing resources and maybe not really getting to what they want to achieve in the most efficient manner. You know, I hear often that outsourcing is done for cost reasons sometimes. That is just to find the place that has the lowest cost to do it. I don't know that that actually plays out in real life all the time, but it certainly is a variable cost that you've replaced a fixed cost with, and that can be helpful from a flexibility standpoint. But I think potentially more valuable is that you're hiring people that have done this before. It's not a sales force that's coming up for the first time. It's the 100th time that it's the first time that the sales force has come up. It is the 100th time that it's the first clinical trial. For my clients, it may be the 10th time we've priced a new drug in the last five years. It might be the 10th time we've made copay assistance in the last five years. It may be not just the first time we've talked with a payer to negotiate rebate, but we've negotiated hundreds of rebates with them. That institutional knowledge is something that strikes me as being helpful also. Totally agree. I think historically and traditionally, dating myself a bit here, but we would see that it was the low cost play. And it came down to almost this idea of, all right, you know, I'm looking to maximize my profitability and take down my cost of sales. And while that was the case, I think what inherently was built in here is that expertise you just described and that operational ability to execute really more and more came to the forefront. And thankfully for the industry, I think the outsourcing model has evolved significantly. We just think about today as an example, well over 50%, if not more of the work we do is in specialty. And that can mean oncology, it can be rare disease. Historically, it was a primary care, late stage life cycle brand that we most likely were supporting as an outsourced provider. But I think that inherent knowledge, the fact that we've done this countless times, operationally, training-wise, understanding how to manage, I think all of that comes forward and has tremendously increased the value equation for sure for our clients. You bring up a great point, Jeff, in terms of how outsourcing models are used, because traditionally when you look at the FSP model, that was used by large pharma to drive size and scale and maybe a race to the bottom in terms of rates. And to your point, there's going to be a risk tolerance, right, in terms of quality and outputs versus price. And so what does that look like for the customer? It depends where they are in their portfolio, what this asset means to their company overall. But what we've seen a shift over the past few years where smaller and mid companies and and biotechs are able to use FSP to do, as you say, to get expertise, to augment very specialized services and talents, and to drive very niche aspects of their own portfolio and their own goals. We're seeing that a lot in terms of Customers, for instance, in U.S. that are looking to expand into Europe and want to navigate the regulatory environment there, it's a lot easier to acquire some of the institutional knowledge and expertise and use that rather than go out and 
find it. And the tried and true is always a safe bet. We can talk about all the reasons why somebody should outsource. I don't know how to say this. It's the best way if you were a client and you wanted to get something out of outsourcing groups, there's a lot you can get from them. And I'm going to name one. So these are kind of tricks of the trade. Let's say that you need to have a commercial plan and you don't know what that commercial plan is going to be. You can go to outsource groups like Senio's Health and you can say, what would you do with our asset? Can you give me a bid on what it would be? And you'll have all the costs laid out and the timing laid out. Then you'll have your plan for how you execute. So that's one trick. That's something that can be a big project typically to figure out. And then you can get it all laid out for you. Other tricks that you've seen as ways to work with an outsourcing group and get what you want from the client side. So Jeff, it's an interesting point. And you're correct. That example you gave of almost getting bids or RFPs with ideas on different approaches is something we definitely see all the time. And I go back to the idea that from a client side, the idea of being able to almost build that, I'll call it that evaluation model. We all know during a launch phase, especially the amount of risk that is out there from an approval perspective, from truly trying to hit the launch plans that we're all forecasting for these assets there again is tremendous risk in that. So how can I as an organization mitigate that risk? And from an outsourcing side, that is one of the levers that probably brings you the most value. Because as described, you can go ahead and either pilot or proof of concept certain approaches. You can go with your best foot forward and know that if you need to recalibrate at any point in any aspect of that outsourced commercial effort, it is a lot easier to move levers around, upsize or scale down as necessary in an outsourced model versus utilizing your own resources. So I just think that is the biggest area where if I was on the client side, I would always look to a partner to assist where I can bring those variable levers into play, not only from a cost side, but I would argue more importantly from a truly operational lever side in terms of how we're launching our organization. We've seen situations where the RFI, RFP process on the clinical side essentially is free consulting to provide a roadmap of how to do things. It was involved in a RFI, RFP with Cineos a few years back where during the RFI phase, we laid out a plan on how we would approach the clinical problem that the customer provided. They came back with an RFP to Cineos and other providers, almost mirroring our solution that we'd put out there. So we were excited. We came back in with our solution, but we weren't selected because we were told we weren't as innovative when we came back with a solution. It was similar to their RFP, which we had helped develop. So it's a little bit of a catch-22 there. But talking with outsourcing folks on the pharma side, some of the feedback I've given is by the time you get to that outsourcing piece where you're setting an RFP, it may be too late for us to really impact materially what you're trying to achieve. So I think having some more transparency with partners in terms of what the end game is early on and getting some good feedback there may help triage or move the RFP process along better. And I also think the ability and the timing of response is always truncated on our side. And that's probably a common complaint you would hear. But I think if you're really looking to maximize the solution from your partners, you've got to give them a bit of a heads up and you've got to give them a bit more transparency so they can do their best work for you. I'm going to double underline that one, Michael, because I've certainly heard this from others that work in the clinical trial side of the business, that when they go out to sell or to work with a client on responding to an RFP, that everything's baked in. There's not a lot of flexibility. And the people that we have on the statistics side that could have an innovative trial design, an adaptive trial design that saves money and saves time and has a higher probability of success, that is all not on the table. 
it can't be done because the RFP is very narrow and very directive on what it's asking for. So I guess the other trick I would recommend if I'm on the client side, how to get the most out of the process is to involve somebody, especially on the clinical side, quite early, because then you get a chance to have a better product. Not only that, but I know that right now there's a big crunch for talent, right? And there's the talent war out there. There's a lot of compression in the space, particularly given the amount of work that was out in the market due to COVID and continues to be there, the impact of COVID on supply chain and people and how we work, et cetera. So I even think that's more critical now for people to think, what can they do further upstream? Because right now, a lot of the customers are looking at capacity, capacity management, do they have enough vendors? I think they need to think about their vendor strategy and what works for them. Do they have enough backup vendors? What's the throughput look like? But the question is, can you widen the lane that you're using for throughput? And can you shorten the end game, either through very strategic regulatory submission processes? And to your point, can you decrease what your overall need is? Can you decrease the size of your clinical study footprint using the synthetic control arms, using technology, using risk-based monitoring? Again, that doesn't solve the immediate today, but as we look at where things are going, being able to decrease your need is important and also being able to be disciplined about what you actually need. I remember talking to a customer a few years back who wanted for an oncology study, they wanted CRAs with 10 years oncology experience. I discussed the price point, the premium, what they were asking for. And I said, what's 10 years giving you that you wouldn't get with five? And they, they were silent. So I think people need to be disciplined about what they need. They have the right resources for the right role. And have they really streamlined what they need? And to your point with protocol design, do you have the right endpoints in mind? It's further upstream where they can make a really, really big impact. Just to add on a little bit to Michael's comments there on a the commercial side, we always try to focus in and very simply ask our clients as early as possible, what are we solving for? What ultimately are we really trying to solve for? Because I do think there has been historically more of a cookie cutter approach in terms of RFPs created on the outsource side, three, four vendors all look at it and come back with a solution based on that RFP. But if we're able to get involved, if the outsourced provider is able to be involved with the client as soon as possible to really think through what is the ultimate objective we're trying to achieve. And to Michael's comments in the oncology example there, to broaden the scope in terms of thinking about different type of approaches, whether it's through technology and digital solutions. Are there other ways we can engage with HCPs versus the traditional face-to-face? -face? What does that all look like? And really taking, it again, as wide a scope as possible to really think about how best can we develop a solution to support that client's ultimate need or problem that needs to be solved. So I think we can kind of wrap up with the great resignation. We're in the midst of it as a country where we talk about a lot of people turning over within the industry. That affects us because, of course, we have to hire a lot of people in general. And so anything that increases the amount of turnover is something that means that we're on a little bit of steroids because we're a derived demand and we have a lot of people that we need to hire. But it also affects the rest of the industry. If you're trying to hire now a sales force, you have a harder time of it. And so you may need to outsource more. And that kind of doubles down on our side, where we get higher demand for clinical trials, higher demand for consulting work, higher demand for our work in general. And we have to hire more people to do it at a time when there's a lot of turnover just generally in the industry. What kind of takeaways do you have there? And I don't know if that's something that you too work on particularly, but I know we do. Jeff, you bring up an excellent point. I think there's a couple of things that I would suggest we think about. One is, as we've all survived the pandemic, I think people have taken inventory of what's going on in their life, what's important. 
what's not. And I think people want to be part of something that's meaningful. So I do think the cultural alignment that a customer has with their vendor, the shared goals, the shared vision is important. I think the tactical outsourcing approach, it may work in short term, but it's not going to guarantee any long-term success or staying power. So I do think there's an element of partnership, sharing the vision, sharing that cultural alignment, letting people know that they are contributing to something bigger than themselves. The other thing on the flip side, we know that DE&I is important. We have a number of programs within our organization to increase the diversity of our workforce. I know we're looking at diversity in clinical trials. But this is an opportunity, I think, with the needs that are there to expand the purview that we're looking at in terms of talent to go out and really be at the forefront and push these DEI initiatives to expand the talent pool, to widen it to people who are going to have rich, diverse viewpoints, experiences, et cetera, to contribute to what we're doing in the industry. So I think getting the cultural alignment right expanding where we go and look for talent and really pushing the DEI, I think that's all going to be important because this is going to continue. In addition to other things we've talked about, reviewing your strategy, looking at technology, being disciplined about what your needs are. I should probably say DEI for those that don't know the acronym means diversity, equity, and inclusion. Continue. Yeah. And following on Michael's comments there, I think we've had the fortune on the commercial side of the business Beyond just the outsource teams that are put out and support different client objectives, we also do a significant amount of recruiting and talent acquisition directly for our clients. So when we think about the DE&I components and a shift toward ensuring, again, that we have the right makeup of the sales force and the right models in place there, I do think the ability for us to be as aligned as possible culturally, truly understand what our clients are looking for in terms of their vision of their organization It's helped on the outsourcing side to see really almost uh, the outsource partner becoming a career destination where typically it may have been a uh, stopping point. More and more, we're seeing while the challenges of bringing on talent probably have never been as extreme as they are right now, I think the ability to retain that talent ourselves or on behalf of our clients for their own teams I think we've definitely hit a sweet spot because we have aligned very well. When we do the jobs the right, we do our jobs the right way. We've aligned very well in terms of understanding our clients' culture. And ultimately, those success, most successful programs really do show that true alignment from day one. And Jim, I would just add, as, as pharma companies are outsourcing services, functionally, et cetera, for them, that talent pool, as folks get into maybe executive leadership, et cetera, they've got to make sure that they've got that healthy as well. So we have seen some partnerships that are more integrated, where as our folks move up within the partnership, they can move over to the sponsor, take on leadership positions, or you can build a model where good talent is able to stay, to advance their careers, to contribute, either moving up through management, moving laterally into other positions of oversight, et cetera. So if you keep it very tactical and you keep it at that level, it's going to be more short term. But if you think long term and you build in the right structures, to your point, Jim, people are looking for more career options and you get more of that ownership and more of that alignment. And you're going to get less in terms of your turnover of folks wanting to leave. We always define it, Michael, as project versus program, and it sounds simple, right? but when you have a program, you have what you just described, right? You have alignment, you have that longer term view and vision. And yes, there are tactics that ultimately deliver the project, but they're done in a much more strategic manner. So I agree 100%. Well, there's lots more we could talk about, but I think we can leave it there. Jim Reedy, Michael, Jim Mink, thanks so much for joining me on the Cineo South podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. 
If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at cineoshealth.com. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life. Thank you.